Hello and welcome to the Fire Officer Project Podcast, a show where we will discuss and learn together about topics specific to the American Fire Service. Come along as we explore areas such as firehouse traditions and culture, the fire family life, leadership, as well as getting yourself ready to be the company officer. This show is for everyone from the rookie firefighter to newly promoted officers. I'm your host, Mark McCurdy. Now let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to episode three. In this episode, we're going to build upon the previous show, The Foundation, continue with those concepts and working towards becoming the company officer, or if you're already there or soon to be, we're going to talk about some ideas and concepts. We're going to lean a little bit into leadership, obviously just scratching the surface. At the end of the show, I'll leave all my contact information so you can get a hold of us with any comments, questions, concerns, or suggestions. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome into episode three. Uh, in this episode, we're going to build a little bit and just kind of review two, the foundation, and then we're going to talk about what does it mean to be the fire captain, the company officer, lieutenant, supervisor, whatever it may be called that your department calls it. And then we'll talk a little bit about leadership, uh, just scratching the surface. By no means do I think I have the ability to lecture, speak upon, or think I'm an expert in any fashion in leadership, I'm just going to talk about bullet points and concepts. And as we progress in these shows and we talk about specific things, leadership is always going to be sprinkled in there, whether we're talking about it directly or not. But this show, I want to talk about some things mentally that you need to prepare for or start thinking about, even though you may be aware of it, but I want to get down to the nuts and bolts of how that feels, what that looks like. So it is kind of leadership, but it's not some hard standard policies or chapters in a book or anything of that nature. It's just going to be things that I've kind of bullet pointed, experienced, and maybe can just give a little bit of shine, a little bit of light on to for you. So you're not caught off guard or with all the other things you have going on, you're trying to have somebody kind of guide you a little bit. So that's the whole thing of this, what I'm trying to do, just mentor pass on traditions and not let them fade away. So I have a pretty decent list here. I'm going to try to run this thing without stopping it. So there may be a little bit of noise as I move around on certain things, but <clears throat> let's just jump right in. So recently our department just put out the list of captains that are available for promotion. It's a pretty short list because we've been hiring, promoting, People have been retiring pretty consistently with a more extended plan over the next few years. I heard a number that I can't confirm, but 10 recruit classes over the next year for our department, LA County. That's a lot. It's also the first time I've seen a seniority number of 3,000. Now, this is just me talking, but I've never seen that. So that means we have a lot of people who are recruiting in and then a lot of people on the top end, which is good. So those numbers might drop, but Back on track, we just had the list come out. And there's people on there that I know that took the written test and then went through the appraisal of promotability, which is our next step. It's a big resume and documents everything that you've done to get yourself ready, scored in points, sectioned out, and then there's objective portion on the back end for chiefs to grade you or rate you on what they think 
it, uh, your number or score would be for that category to be ready for promotion. I'm hoping maybe there's a mistake, but usually there's not because our human resources and our big county human resources does a pretty good job of trying to get it all right before they send it out. Now, obviously, there's always revisions, but my point is there's some people on there that took the written, have been doing stuff, trying to get themselves better, and then after it all combines scores, they're not on the list. Now, hopefully, that's a mistake or maybe there's a a protest or something that they're trying to get more points in an area. But if they're not on the list and we talked about in the foundation, evaluating where you're at, what do you need to make better? Where do you need to improve or reinforce? What do you need to continue working on? So two things can happen there. One, the person took the written test, doesn't have much of an AP and they're doing what we talked about at the end of the last episode, which is take the test when you're able Helps you gauge where you're at, understand how tests are written, how questions are asked, and that's good. But I know one or two people on there that they were saying this is the one. Well, I didn't look at their stuff, and that doesn't matter, but it means possibly they need to shore up some other areas, which can be a hard pill to swallow. But if you're persistent and that's what you want, that's a good thing because those people will take that and it'll make them stronger. So to recap kind of the foundation, you got to do a hard self-assessment on yourself, a truthful one, not try to squeeze out points of, I did this, or I wrote this one piece of paper or this letter. You need something more than that. And it, sometimes it takes a lot of extra work, whether it's recruit training or special projects or whatever it may be, but you have to do it if that's where you want to be. To be average, just to scrape across the line of the passing line and to be in a band of how we band groups just above the surface, but thinking that's where you want to be, that's fine. I came out in a similar situation. It's different how my testing was at the time, but you better know, you better be on fast forward to find somebody that can help you. Because if you just got across the goal line, you may need a little help in some areas. Maybe not. Some people just suck at taking tests. So... That could just be it. We have people that come out in band one, the highest band, that suck when they get to operations portion. It doesn't matter how they got there or whatever, but it's not the best gauge. All right, to get back on my thing, my uh, concepts here. So we talk about leadership, and everybody gets has their opinion or gets kind of tight around it or, ah, that's not exactly how I want it to be or, but like I said, I'm just talking about concepts and bullet points and things that are leadership category, but we're not going to talk about you shall do this or should do this because people react this way. I'm not a psychologist. I've read a lot of books, but that doesn't mean much. It's how you how it comes across. Each personality, all of our personalities are different, so it's all in delivery. So if I was to kind of compare myself, both my daughters are in softball. They're only eight and ten. But if you have kids in sports, doesn't matter what type, but you know how you start and you get them a coach for certain things like hitting or pitching and you get that first coach. And then after a while you realize that's the max level that that person can handle. And you need to just find somebody who does it the next level a little bit better. And then the next level, well, I'm kind of like your intro guy, your intro coach. 
because I sit at the company officer level, that's the max I can reach. Although I can understand some of what the chiefs have talked or are looking at, but I'm not there. So I'm, I'm kind of like your intro coach. So when I say scratch the surface, it's more of just concepts. If you go back and review, if you haven't listened to episode two, that was basically an episode about foundation and getting yourself and looking at a hard truth of what, where you're at, maybe what classes you need to take, finding a mentor, a hard gut check of where you're at to get ready to be promoted. So in that episode, I asked, think about, I ask people all the time, why do you want to promote? Why? Did you think about it? If you listened to episode two, now we're here, three, did you think about why? It shouldn't be that complicated of an answer, but I'm not going to go over answers because it's, it's almost like a rhetorical question. Think about it because that's your start of your basis too of why, why are you doing this? Why are you putting all this investment in? Is it solely because so-and-so got promoted, they have less time on than me, and I deserve to be the captain? Okay, that's fine, but that's going to be a shaky foundation to build on when you start trying to work and it gets tough. Although that can be one of the components of it, it shouldn't be the main foundation why. So this whole concept of this podcast is basically my class that I've talked about in my intro episode and I've kind of talked about, or on my Instagram accounts, you'll see what I'm talking about, a physical class that people come to. And I separated it out, admin and operations, two different days, because we tried doing it both in one day, and it is a long-ass day, and we can only handle so much information before we're maxed out and before guys are looking at their watch, thinking about traffic. So, yeah, so we separated it out. Admin operations. And I'm going to talk about that. So I got a lot of people saying, well, I can't make the class, or times are rough because uh, recalls, working overtime, family stuff. And they say, well, when are you going to put an uh, online portion out? Well, this is kind of like my online portion. I barely have enough time to squeeze this in right now, but I make time for it because I think it's important and I like it. But this is kind of like the online portion. So I'll talk about it in kind of how I speak in the class. It's a little bit harder because I'm just speaking into a microphone versus me walking around because I like to pace in the class and then I get feedback from people. So we kind of shoot down avenues that they bring up that maybe I haven't thought of or that triggers an idea or concept and we just keep going from there. So it's a little bit more restricted here because it's just me and I have to write my notes and try to keep myself organized and I have to sit still, which is harder for me because once I get going, I really like to move around, animated, uh, it's just a little bit easier. But this is kind of like this class. So... On the admin day, I bring these kind of concepts up because, and this will bleed into operations too. It's not just admin. So don't turn it off yet. It's not just admin stuff. It's kind of firehouse culture, living amongst each other, tiny bit of ops, all the leadership things that kind of touch that as we talk about these bullet points. So in your opinion, what is a fire captain? Other than the person who's in charge, has a few more things hanging on their uniform and is the supervisor. But what, what that kind of goes back? What is it? Why do you want to promote to that position? And what is that person? So I kind of just leave that to soak in right there for a minute, marinate as we talk about this stuff. But 
We all know who it is. It's the supervisor. It's the person sitting right front or 40-hour position that's in charge of an area or division, training, fire prevention. It's a supervisor. So I'm going to get to this one concept and I'll just blast it right now because I don't, I won't forget it, but it's almost the nuts and bolts of this whole episode. Captain Good Times is what I call it. Don't be Captain Good Times. And what I mean by that is a firefighter that took the test and is dressed like a captain, but thinks like a firefighter. And I'll explain that in a little while. So nobody, anybody that's a fireman or firefighter doesn't get all offended, but you're going to see what I'm talking about. Because I was there too. I was a firefighter for firefighter medic for almost 15 years before I started moving up the chain a bit. So don't take it like that. But I just want to start to let you think about that one. So when you think about everybody that you've worked with, captain wise, and now we're kind of shining the spotlight on that specific position, what's your ideal captain? Because you know the good ones, you know the bad ones. And you know the ones that are kind of mediocre in the middle. Obviously, you don't want to be labeled a bad one, unless that's just your thing. But it's going to suck when you try to uh, tell somebody to do something or... Yeah, you can just see. I'm not even going to go down that road. How do you become one of the good ones? Because we've all had the people that you wanted to work your tail off for or you tried forever to get to their company for a reason. And it wasn't maybe just because you wanted them to specifically be your mentor. You just wanted to be in that spot because they were at a station or a firehouse that you really wanted to be in. They were an awesome company officer for a reason, and you wanted to work for them day in and day out instead of just getting an overtime there or seeing them around the battalion or your department. You've made the effort or somehow you've gotten under those people. But I've seen them in all different areas. Every place I've worked... Or, or bid to, as I talked about previous episode, is if you're fortunate enough or whatever, it doesn't actually, let me back that up. If you're fortunate enough to get hired, you won the lottery, right? That's what we always say, at least in my departments, we say, you won the lottery. Okay. Well, I like to think that we're a great department because we are, but there's a lot of great departments. And does a one station department do things differently than? a nearly 180 station department like ours. I doubt it because we always hear the concepts of, uh, what is it? Different circus, same clowns or whatever it may be, but the things are kind of the same. Now it's the experience level. If you're fortunate enough to work for a bigger department or you make your way there or a medium department, whatever it is, if you can move yourself around to make yourself more well-rounded, that's going to help you. But you also have to balance it with getting around the right people. Because you may want to go to a station that works in a specific area, but the shift that's open has a horrible captain. And I don't mind saying there's horrible captains out there. They are. There's ones that suck. Shouldn't even be wearing that badge. They're not doing anybody any favors. So, and hell, for all I know, people may think that about me. But, okay, I'm, I'm going to see. I don't think so, but you never know. Sometimes first impressions uh, aren't always true, right? You, you you meet that first person maybe on an incident or whatever, and you're like, that person's an a-hole. 
we just caught them on a bad day. Maybe they have stuff going on at home and you're going to judge them off that 10 second or one minute or 30 minute experience with them. So you have to, you have to massage that a bit, but let's get back to where we were. So your experience, where you've moved around, your experience in life, not only in the fire department, outside of life, maybe military experience, education, whatever it may be, is going to shape the kind of leader you're going to be. Also, who you've been exposed to, obviously. They're gonna, it's going to shape your style because what else do you have to go on? We look to that person, but we're not in their shoes yet. So it's kind of like the slide carousel thing, right? That some people don't understand anymore because they never saw that in school. But it's a slide carousel concept that the fire department uses all the time. Your experience comes around and you're like, wait, I've seen this. And the slide carousel drops in and you're like, here's what we're going to do. It's going to be the same way when you're dealing with the station life, personnel problems, your daily activities, how you talk to people, how you help your people get to where they want to be. It's it's just how it is. So you have to take that experience and you learn from it, good ones and bad ones. Now, what do you think it's like to sit in that right front seat? You see it, but I always bring it up to people going, when you're a firefighter or an engineer or the driver or chauffeur, how many times have you been on a call? And I always use the example, when it gets windy, so we're in Southern California, when it gets windy, which is almost that time of year, and you start getting the calls uh, that have to relate to the wind. Now, out here, we have Southern California Edison. Once it starts getting windy and busy like that, they don't give ETAs. So I always ask guys on this concept, you're the company officer now, or... Actually, back up. Let's put you in this other spot. You're the firefighter or the engineer. You go on a sparking um, power lines. Well, when you get there, it's like a queen palm that's just touching the power line and a little bit of spark or something will fall down. But it's because it's windy and the thing's tapping the line. It's probably done that before, but nobody's ever paid attention to it because now it's windy. And now all the neighbors are out and kind of looking at things and then you get the 911 call. Single engine response. What are you going to do as a company officer? And I usually get, uh, because we've all been there. You've been there when the company officer looks at it, assesses the whole scene, looks for the potential threat without what ifing it to death, because you could talk yourself into a, a whirlwind of catastrophe, evaluates and then makes a decision. Either you're staying put until the um, power company gets there, or you take the calculated risk and say, I'm comfortable with this based on this. And then you put it back maybe on the resident or the neighbor to say, hey, we're super busy. It looks very minimal with potential to go off again or something could happen. I'm not talking like there's there's a field of grass below the thing and humidity is 9% and you're like, bah, forget it. Let's get out of here because I want to be the cool guy, aka Captain Good Times, because I don't want my crew to be pissed at me. Whatever. We're there for 24 hours. I say this one all the time to people. You ever notice when people try to cancel other resources quick or try to release you quicker? Who cares? Where do we have to go? Now, if another incident breaks out or times are tight and we need to move up companies and all that stuff, then yeah, okay, don't be screwing around. But on those times when it's just your regular call, it looks like they're kind of hinging on needing some more help, but they want to be the cool guy and get some of the companies loose, I'll not necessarily volunteer, but if I'm standing there and I've already made it on scene, I tell them all the time, other guys, hey, I got nowhere to be till eight o'clock tomorrow morning. 
Let, let us help you for 30 minutes, put in some work. Let's get this wrapped up and move on. Something similar to that. Now, I'm not saying what I do is right because maybe that pisses off my crew. I know it has because guys have told me before. But I think that's because maybe they've worked too many days or they're just a grumpy person. If they're a grumpy person, suck it. I'm in charge. And this is what we're going to do. Or you're in charge, whatever it may be. But if that person, if they have a right that you're constantly not thinking about the welfare of your crew, then yeah, you're the jerk then as a captain. But you understand what I'm saying. You're going to have to massage through that. So those kind of decision-making factors are going to weigh in on what you're going to do. And every time you have to weigh, you're the company officer now. So the firefighter and the engineer always looks at the captain as thinking, we're going to be here for 10 minutes or we're going to be here for two hours in that specific palm tree in the power line situation I was talking about. But as the company officer, you don't think that you don't, you're not going to feel the eyes on you. Who do you have to turn to? You can't turn to the right and go, oh, what's he? Oh, that's me. You have to make the decision. So that's going to be based off experience and mentorship and maybe taking classes from people or sometimes it's just OJT on the job training and you figure it out. Phone a friend. I tell people all the time. That are my buddies or other people, or when I teach this class, I go, here's my phone number. I give it out to people. And they look at you kind of weird. I'm like, if you need me, you call. Now, if we're not friends or first time we're meeting, I tell people, maybe I'm your fifth string guy on the bench who you called your first four buddies and they didn't answer. You can call me. Because those first few months are uncomfortable as hell. It just feels like a ton of weight on you. And people say, oh, it's no big deal. It's no big deal, I think, to people that don't give a crap, that just kind of roll the dice and they're like, bah, 85, 90% of the time, everything's fine. What about the other 15 to 10% that can kill you? Or you actually need to make a decision. So I tell people, hey, you can call me. And I've had people call me at one in the morning. Uh, what do I do here? No problem. It's, it's happened literally maybe five or six times. I don't care. My wife understands. People call. It's usually when they're at, they know you're at uh, work, they will call you. But I've gotten a couple calls when I've been at home. It's fine. If I didn't want that, I wouldn't give people my phone number. But I know what it's like to think, oh, God, what do I need to do here? I need, I'm maxed out. I don't have this slide in my carousel. It keeps trying to drop in, and all I see is white light on the screen. There's no slide there to project an image of what I should do. So what is it really like? And I joke with people, but I say, don't worry. You only have diarrhea for like the first three months. Then you get your feet under you. Hence the foundation of the previous episode, which is foundation of getting yourself promoted. Now you got to build the foundation of you're in the seat. Don't worry. You only have diarrhea for a few months and you're staring at the ceiling going, what if? And you what if everything to death? You can't do that. The way to... Stop that is be at a busy place if you can be. And if not, you need to hold, get a hold of somebody and do scenarios, scenarios, drills. You, you you have to learn the muscle memory portion of it. And some of it, like I said, or a good amount of it out of this job is OJT. You just got to be put in that spot to see it or to make the decision. So usually after the first few months, you feel comfortable somewhat. Just don't lean into the cocky side. 
As soon as we get comfortable, Takaki, we lose it, right? And then something happens to reset us. Happens all the time in this job. It's going to continue to happen to all of this. So how do you get prepared? How do you get better? You're probably going to get tired of me saying it, but it's finding a mentor. And not somebody that's just going to be your friend and blow smoke up your ass because you already have enough of those people. Now, if you want to go to a supervisory type level or somebody that's going to make decisions, run incidents, command, all that stuff, find the person that's going to make you work. That's it. You have to find that person. And it's not just about operational stuff. Because for the most part, we're pretty decent at that. This job isn't that complicated. It's the X factors that make it more complicated or individualized per incident building construction, time of year, whatever it may be. So it's not just operations. Because if we talk about just operation stuff, most guys can either step up and take care of the problem, or you can do the other thing where you kind of just mill around and look busy, and you're just trying to get your experience level up. But when you put yourself out there, guess what? Another term I use constantly to people in this class, be prepared to be uncomfortable. You're going to be. You're trying to deal with personnel in the station, people that go off, walk out of the station. I've had that happen to me. Pissed off about something that's not even your handle. Uh, Family issues, critical calls, all this stuff. But you also have to handle your administrative stuff because we joke constantly with, as long as you feed them and pay them, they're good true, that's kind of a joke, obviously, but we have a little bit of an older, archaic way to pay people, but whatever, it works, so learn how to do it. There's no way around not knowing how to pay your personnel, if that's how you do it. Make sure they eat, make sure they're taken care of, but also make sure they're taken care of by training them. They'll never admit it that they don't feel ready. And we lean back towards Captain Good Times. When you don't force them to make themselves better, or they wait for you to make themselves better and see what you do, that's when you're starting to become Captain Good Times. Great. You watch movies with them, and you do all this stuff, and you never put the task to them to make sure the rig's clean, the station's clean, get the fire prevention done appropriately, train, whatever it may be. Just be careful of hinging and falling off the cliff into Captain Good Times. All right. So I want to talk a little bit about some things that can start you off well. So we'll pretend or we'll say you're already promoted. You're the captain. Maybe it's day one. And most fire departments that I'm aware of operate pretty similarly. You have, you get there in the morning, you do your relief, you put your gear on, you get ready for the day. There's a somewhat formal lineup. I've heard some places don't even do a lineup anymore. Now that's leaning toward away from tradition. I don't care if I work at a three-person company or a 13-person company that day. Obviously a bigger house, but it's the same. You treat it the same. And especially if I go work at a three-person house, 
that I'm working overtime at and I'm not assigned to, I still have my basic things I need to tell them so that we're all on the same page for the most part. So there's some departments I know have a structured lineup on the app floor in front of the rig, maybe in uniform, however it may be. Ours, somewhat lax, because we go right from lineup usually to physical um, training, so PT. So shorts, appropriate shorts, uniform attire, showing up to the table, shaven, ready to go, not making breakfast, no cell phones, not on the phone, all that stuff. And we talk about this in this class I put on, but let me talk about it now. You have to set the standard from the beginning. Now, granted, there is a break-in period. Some people say, oh, sit back and watch how things work for 30 days or whatever it may be and see how they do things. Because you came in with the iron fist and said, this is how it's going to be day one. Obviously, that's going to be a little difficult. But you have to find the tipping point of not day one, not three months down the road, because once you set allowed a standard to be the standard, trying to switch from that is going to be tough. So a basic lineup, how I do things is try to get lineup at eight o'clock. That's kind of, if we had to look at how our day is laid out, eight o'clock is the expected time for lineup, phone calls, calls, all that can make things messed up, but try to shoot for the eight o'clock or whatever the time is for your department. Show up yourself in the proper attire. I'll talk about uniforms and my thoughts on that in another episode, because I think that's a big a big one and it'll lean a little more towards leadership as well, but it'll be a little more fun. So we have our basic lineup and you have to, everything's kind of laying out for us. There's a drill schedule, maybe something the chief needs you to do a move up, um, training, EMS training, whatever it may be. You have to go off of that dailies for the day, which maybe it's clean the ladder day or, clean the office or whatever structure of that day. If it's a weekend, yard work, training, whatever it may, it's already kind of predicted for us there. But where I try to put my own spin on it is I give out my basic SOP SOGs. And I'll explain what how I give that out here. And why I do that is I don't, I want them to know I kind of have an idea of what I want to happen on an incident. Because you think they're not judging you if they haven't worked with you? That if you don't have some kind of idea of what you want to tell them. Now, do you need to tell them on an EMS call, I want you to do this and this and this? Probably shouldn't have to. But I'm talking about fire calls or anything uh, other than an EMS call. And I don't break down every incident. I give basic SOP, SOGs for fires. And the way I know I screwed up at lineup, if it wasn't interrupted by a call or something else, is when we get on the rig to go to lunch or go shopping for the day's food. And you hear usually the firefighter or the engineer say, hey, Cap, if we get something today, what do you like to do? And that instantly tells me I screwed the pooch when I did my lineup because I didn't tell him my basic SOP SOGs. And then I'll tell them, bah, thank you for bringing that up. I screwed up. I meant to do that this morning. Now, if it was 
you got a call or something like that, then try to remember to come back to it and bring it around. Or as you're driving back from that call, go, hey, guys, if we get something today, here's what I like to do, A, B, C, D, whatever. As an example, this is what I tell them. Because uh, in our department, we have only a few op- potential situations of how resources are laid out. Single engine company, single engine company and a squad, which is the pickup truck style for LA County, like emergency 51. Um, engine truck company and a squad. And some are straight single resource truck company stations. But for the most part, it's usually engine, engine squad, engine truck squad. Okay. I'm only responsible for what I need, whatever piece of apparatus I'm on, engine or truck. So I only talk to that in the opening group. I only talk in that concept because when you talk in the open group, you're also building up future things, right? Like if we don't say something, people can't read your mind. So they may not be working with you. Say I'm on the engine today and the truck guys are on the truck. They're not, I'm not on the rig with them to hear how I kind of do things. They just see me in the station or see the captain in the station. And the only way they know if you know what the hell you're doing is when they go on calls with you. So I kind of set the table in the morning and be like, here's kind of like I do things. Or let me take a step back. I usually ask, do you guys have some basic plans for if you have a fire? And a lot of times I don't get an answer. I get like, yeah, kind of. And I wait and I give them a second like, okay, well, what are you talking about? And then if it's, I let them speak on how they do things. Or maybe they have something special with that area or a specialty piece of equipment or something. I'll let them tell me. And I go, okay, sounds good. Today, if we have something, here's what I would like to do. And I usually just go straight forward. Single family dwelling. Uh, I'm going to get my size up. Just give me a second. So we'll talk about size ups and operation stuff episodes from now. But you basically have two two concepts here. Are you going to pull up, push the button, and give your size up? Because usually the firefighters don't wait for you. A lot of times, as we're coming around the corner, if there's something that looks like it's working, I'll say something to them. Hey, give me a second here. I'll hold off on giving the size up for a few seconds to give them some direction because I know they're not going to wait for me. But I also keep them on a short leash and tell them, don't go anywhere other than right here, whatever it may be. So I'll tell them, hey, on single-family dwellings, as we roll in, we'll talk it up a bit as far as a few things. And mainly what I'm talking up is size of hose line that I want. Because our department has options. We have real lines. One inch, either can be hard rubber chemical line, we call it, or a double jacket, rubber reinforced, one inch with cotton hose on the exterior. Real line, 300 feet usually, that a lot of times we use for small rubbish fires, grass fires, things like that. But I have seen people because they want to get in there quick and get some because the other company is screaming down the street at the same time, they'll take that. BTUs versus GPMs. I will tell them, hey, I'm going to tell you what line to pull, not because I don't think you know what you're doing, but I want to be on the same page. That's usually what I'll say to them. And they're, oh yeah, no problem, no problem. And it checks things off in my head. I'll also tell them, I'm going to let you know if I'm going to be right behind you or if I'm passing you off to the next rig because I'm going to run the incident. And I will physically try to come tell them because radio traffic in the first few minutes of an incident usually is too much and it can get missed. So I'll tell them, type a hose line that I want them to pull if uh, I'm going to be behind them after size up or if I'm going to give them to another company. And then it's incident driven after that. 
apartment fires. If it's a large apartment building, nothing showing, and it's the two of us because we most of our companies are a three-person company. So myself, the firefighter, and the engineer. Um, large apartment building, nothing showing. First in, we're going to bring the high-rise pack, water can, and I'm going to bring the irons. And we're going to go find it. And I tell them, just, I want you to bring the high-rise pack and the water can. I'll bring the irons. I keep a set of irons in my BA compartment. We'll go find it. Because that way, if we get back there, I get something to force the door. Water can, if it's small and incipient, it can knock it down. If not, keep the door in check, force it. Maybe do a quick search in that immediate area. Start developing the hose line back with our high-rise pack. It's better than walking back to the thumb up your ass and then going, oh, wait, and then run back. I also tell them on large apartment buildings, don't just jump off the rig. Sit still for a second because we may need to move, get on the Bravo or Charlie side. Maybe the engineer or the firefighter knows, hey, there's a breezeway over here that's going to shorten our stretch, something of that nature. I try to hold them back a tiny bit for a few seconds. Um, Apartment fire smoke and fire showing, it's going to be incident driven. I just tell them. Let me see where we're going to go. I'll tell you what to pull, whether it's going to be quick stretch, inch and three quarter, 300 foot or whatever it may be, or this is too big. It's already running the attic or it's multiple units. We're going two and a half. And then we'll develop off that. I, I tell them, I'm going to give you some direction. And then those are the most things to say. And then brush fires, we have a specific way we do brush fires. So I tell them how I think we should do things uh, based on where it's at and things like that. So I'll give them a little bit of guidance on brush fires. That's it. Then I tell the squad, if it's a paramedic squad area where they go on their own with resources, just the two firefighters, I tell them, hey, do what you normally need to do. If something comes up strange, call me at the station or on my cell phone. Here it is. If there's any issues that you're stuck in a a tight spot, call me, let me know. That's it. I ask them what else they need to do for that day, what special projects we have going on, what things we need to get done long term. There's always something through the department that everybody needs to be um, held accountable for, which is just annual things that we have to click off and send in emails in the stations that don't have a captain vacancy or person off on I that constantly gets the substitute teacher, as I call it, they sometimes fall through the crack because they're, we're kind of just there for 24 hours. We're like, Oh, we're just trying to have a good day. Sometimes you have to look and go, okay, are you, is everything done that you guys need done? Or what is there something I can do to help you today? So remember that people want to be led. Think back when you, or maybe you're going to be in the leadership position or have been, and it doesn't have to be specific by rank. You could be a leader where everybody's equal. You just be the, you're the one person that steps up. There always seems to be those natural type leader people who makes the decision or does what it doesn't have to be rank specific, or you don't have to have a title to be a leader. You're just that type of person, or you know that it needs to be done. So you step up and do it. So what I try to say too is I have some basic SOP, SOGs, because I want the crews to know there is going to be some structure and order. I've thought about this. It isn't just willy-nilly because there's a concept that we hear and I've heard in my department the whole time I've been there. Oh, it's no big deal. We'll figure it out when we get there. And it drives me up a wall. Because when I never, when I had, so example of a captain who didn't really have a plan, I guess, or maybe they just, maybe they, maybe I took it like they didn't have a plan. And 
But usually when somebody says, we'll figure it out when we get there, it's no big deal. The hell it isn't. It is a big, it isn't a big deal until it is. And then the truth comes to the surface of who knows what they're doing and who doesn't. Because I haven't yet been to a part where we're like, oh, we'll figure it out when we get there. All right, uh, this is burning. You go here, you go there. It, it doesn't work like that. That to me is the, I don't know what to say or I haven't thought about it excuse. So yeah, I don't have it structured. If it's a bigger incident, yeah, it's dynamic. You'll figure it out when you get there. I understand that. But when that's the person's coverall for everything, no. And maybe I'm making it a bigger deal than it is, but I don't think so. Because I usually get pretty good positive feedback. Uh, when I ask first, how do they do things? And then unless they give me very specific things, I tell them, okay, sounds good. On top of that, these are kind of my basic things I like to loosely stick to. And that's how I put it. It isn't a hard and fast rule. But remember, people want to be led. You're the leader. You're there for a reason. Whether you just got across the goal line and you got just enough experience that your department says, okay, uh, we'll trust them. Or you've been doing it for a while. People want to be led. But it's not always a democracy on scene. And what I mean by that is I didn't, I need to back up to my lineup thing. I tell people all the time, I don't care if you tell me the same thing five times. I'm not going to get butt hurt. I don't get my feelings hurt. Do you want to remind me there's a wire down five times? Please do. Because I hate wires. And I tell people all the time, I hate wires. So if you see something, tell me. I don't care if you tell me five or six times. If you have to tell me five or six times because I'm not picking up what you're putting down, that's the thing. But if I've addressed it, okay, then we need to move on. But I always give them that, hey, you can tell me the facade's leaning out this way or whatever. Please say something. But when it comes to a decision, after everything's been safety checked quickly, there is no democracy. You have to be confident. And I've never really had somebody say, I'm not doing that. I've said, I've had them say, oh, are you okay with this? Or did you see this and then do this? And oh, perfect. Yes. Sounds good. I'll see you on the other side. Something of that nature. So people want to be led, but you need to make, you need to lead them. You don't ask them for their opinion when stuff's going bad and you can, but if you do that every damn time, what do you think your credibility is doing? What's happening? So on credibility, reputation, question, can the company officer bring down the whole reputation of the company? It's kind of a rhetorical question because in our department, you can bid out of your station to a spot once a year. Now a spot has to be open and it's based on seniority and, and multiple other factors, but you can leave, you could 30 year career, you could be at 30 different spots technically. Some guys do that. They move around every year. Some people stay their whole career in a certain spot and then everybody else is kind of mixed up in between how they do things. So first thing, usually when you look at our bid sheets and there's a shift with three, two, three, maybe even four vacancy spots on it, that's one of two things. One, the captain's a freaking clown or it's just the way the chips fell. Maybe all those people got promoted off the same list at one time. I've had that concept before where even the thing I'm talking about now has happened to me where my shift is completely blank of firefighters. 
And I'm like, oh, God, there goes the flag out to the whole county that my old station on the B shift was, stay away. Those guys must be screwed up because there's three vacancies for three firefighter spots. That wasn't the concept or the truth. Maybe, slightly, if you know me, maybe. But now what happened was everybody got promoted at the same time. And I think one guy went to medic school and got off being a fireman and was promoted to paramedic or not promoted, but finished medic school. But you think I'm not aware of how that looks on the sheet? So the first thing is always when there's those that many vacancies, it's usually everybody thinks it's the leader. So you have to be aware of that. So your reputation is everything, especially in a place where you can move around. And so you have to look at it two different ways. Is your shift completely blank all the time? And some people go, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't bother me. Bull crap. You're going to tell me you're impervious to the fact that people don't want to work with you? Stop. Maybe. I mean, there are those people. That's cool. I just don't think I could be that person. So uh, you have that. You have the, the can the company officer bring the reputation of the whole company down? Probably. Or are you the person who every time there's an opening on your shift, there's a line out the door? Which one do you want to be? Sometimes it's difficult when you're the person who everybody wants to work with or for because they think of it as two ways. One, you're a super cool guy that won't cause them to do anything. And you can sit around and watch Netflix and eat and not do crap, just do the bare minimum. Or you're the person that's going to push them, teach them, and eventually, if they want to keep climbing the ladder, promote, get them promoted or at least be a factor in it. So there's that and there's somewhere in between. So... Which one are you going to have? And I, I try. Like right now, I'm trying. So maybe not. Man, maybe as I talk about this out loud, maybe I'm the jerk off because I can't find a firefighter in our to come to my new station. Even when I'm my old station, it was tough because we just, it's a numbers thing. Some people don't want to work on a truck or an engine or be in a house where there's a chief and multiple other chiefs and things. And I get it. It's all multiple factors. But going back to the company officer, on that specific shift, reputation is everything or experience level is everything. I'll explain it this way because this is probably similar idea that most departments have, but in an agency that has more than one station or yeah, you, we, so every morning when we go to work, we have battalions, right? We have 22 battalions. My current battalion has nine stations. It's kind of an average somewhere six between six and nine stations per battalion. And, it's all kind of the same. So we put everybody on duty. We do the staffing. We pay them. And then we print out the daily par for the battalion. And sometimes guys will do the surrounding battalion because we bleed over so much, which is pretty common. So we'll print off the par and we look down the list. Some places highlight who the company officer is. And we do that so that when the person's talking on the radio, we kind of look and go, it just makes it easier for us to see on the list who's where and who's what. Now, every morning we print that off. I know I'm not the only one because I've asked other people. We go down the list and look at all the other companies of who's working. And there's days where you go, ooh, I hope we get something because we have a lot of A players. And there's the other days where you're like, yeah, please, I hope we don't get something. Because you have some weak sisters that you're like, and I don't mean it like that. It's a term I use by accident. Sorry. You have some weak players that... You're like, oh, God, please. This setup right now is a setup for disaster. So it'll probably be the day that we get a 
big incident. So I remember one day looking at the chief's par, battalion chiefs, and looking at how he had things laid out. He had people highlighted, then he had little dots, a red dot, next to specific names. I said, oh, what's, what's with the red dot? And maybe it was a different color, but I, I remember seeing it as a red dot, so I use it as the red dot concept. And he goes, those are the people that I know can get the job done that I need today, whether it's running a division, incident command, operations, division on a wildland fire, whatever it may be. Those are the people that he's going to trust. And he even goes as far, the specific chief is saying, I don't care how people show up on an incident in what order. If I want the number, this guy, this specific guy on the list with the red dot next to his name, and he's the fourth in person, incident driven, and you can still kind of wrangle it around. I'll wait for that person to get on scene to plug him into that specific position because that's how that goes. And if you've built that reputation and you've worked towards that, I kid with the guys that are in my class that usually are from LA County. I say, you want to be on the red dot. So work towards getting the red dot next to your name. You can understand the concept I'm talking about. There's the people that the chiefs can't wait for your rig to come around the corner. And there's the other ones that you're going, wow, how do they always get that little job constantly? And when you're stuck in that vortex, it's hard to get out. So every incident of everything that you do builds your reputation, not only as the company's reputation, because I don't look at every engineer and every firefighter that's on there. I kind of look at the engineers now. I kind of look at the firefighters. So I know who's working. So maybe if I come across, I'm like, hey, I want to, hopefully we can run across this rig so we can say hi to this person. But if I'm looking at it from a strictly ops position, I want to know who the other chiefs are in the area, who the other captains are, what other specific resources we have available to us today, and then go from there. So however it may be in your department, under that concept, you want to be the red dot. You want them to hear you coming on that incident, and then you're going to get that task. Now, you've got to hold up to it every time. you got to make them want to keep that red dot next to your name. Once or twice you screw up, so what? It becomes consistent. Like I said, first opinions or uh, first impressions aren't always the only impression. Time, like anything, heals, but can also undermine you. So you constantly are working towards striving to be with the red dot next to your name. So I think I've uh, explained that concept enough, however maybe may be in your department. I'd be interested in hearing how other departments do that, their kind of concepts. So at the end of this episode, I'll leave you all my information so that you can get a hold of us. And I would really, really be interested in seeing how other, if I'm off base on this one, or I want to know how other people are experience that concept. That would be pretty awesome to hear. So if you feel like it, please send a message, an email, and all that. I'll give you all the information at the end. We're almost, uh, we're getting near the end. And I'd be interested in hearing that, so. All right. So I was listening to another podcast recently and fire service related, and they were talking about somewhat similar to what we're doing right now, talking about leadership and being a company officer. And one was a veteran company officer and one had been company officer for about a year. And he said he was working on overtime and he asked the engineers and firefighters what they thought of as a good company officer. And they gave him their examples of what they thought and and that, but what I'm asking is, 
what do you think your people that work for you think of you? Do you does it even cross your mind like how they think of you or what they think of you or what they say when they go working overtime somewhere else and somebody goes, oh, how's it working for blank, you know, so-and-so? And what do they say? Do you care? Or do you stick to your guns based on what you have? And you try to, you're not trying to justify everything because if you spend time trying to justify everything you do, you, you might have to explain, but if you're justifying where you're at or why you're in that rank or that position, you, you're almost telling yourself you don't deserve to be there. My opinion only. There's a lot of that going on when we have people that just scrape by the goal line, like I said, that try to justify well, I wasn't thinking about getting promoted. I just took the test. I'm like, but you turned in the packet and you did everything else. If you just wanted to see the written test, you just tell the testing agency, at least for us, I just wanted to take the written. I don't want to proceed farther. Duh. So when people say they weren't really doing it, that's BS. Uh, so let's see what else here are my notes. Okay, so we talked about is there a, a line waiting out the door for you or is it one and done? That's how we say it. One and done is person bids, whatever they may be, because they have an agenda on a certain thing and they want to move every year or they can't stand you as a supervisor and they're one and done. They do their year and they're out. Then there's like this constant revolving door. Which way is it? So uh, let's see. Remember, like now I look at it and it's kind of different. So I'm 46 and we were talking about an incident the other day in 2000. And one of the guys said that he was only two years old. I'm like, 2000? That's when I got hired. It was in 2000 at 24. And you start like, oh my gosh, I'm that guy now. So now you're sometimes being a parental figure as the company officer because of your age or where you're at in life. Maybe you're a little farther down the road. And you're kind of massaging parental things or talking to them about non-fire department stuff, life things, guiding them correctly. I should have listened. I didn't have enough people. But can you imagine if we all listened to the one person on the job, and I think we all have them, who did the saved all their money for deferred comp, invested money, has multiple apartment buildings. If we all did that, that would be crazy. If we could only go back, right? If we could only go back in life. We'd all be millionaires or we'd do something different. But anyways, uh, you have to set these boundaries. Well, I shouldn't say boundaries. You need to teach, basically. The other morning at lineup, we had, uh, I noticed, and a few other captains noticed that some of the firefighters who were younger weren't abiding by something that we just took for granted about relief in the morning. And they weren't doing it on purpose. They just didn't understand the culture or how it worked. And it was just kind of missing. It wasn't all completely lined up. So I line up, I go, hey, um, I want to bring this up because I want to straighten this out because small issues need to be handled right away. If you let them fester and get bigger, what happens? We all know. And it wasn't a problem per se. It was just something I saw that could potentially maybe get resentment or problems or anything. And if anybody's ever been in a station where there's shift wars, that sucks. And so to try to avoid that, you're almost like that parental figure saying, hey, here's how we do things. Because one, 
most important, we need to hold on to the, the traditions that we have, the, the proper traditions. You can have your opinion on everything else that the fire service does or whatever, but I'm not even going to go down that road because it's not, it's not what we're talking about here. One, we need to keep that tradition. And the only way that stays alive is by people telling other people or showing them. If we don't keep those established traditions that work alive, they're going to fall to the wayside. And it's not the fault of the new people coming up. They didn't know. We, who have been around a few minutes here, need to explain to them how things continue to go. So that when we leave, it still holds true. And that was one thing about, okay, here's how, here's how things usually work with relief and people going here to work here and trying to get this person off. And maybe you got to switch over to the other rig because that one's going on a run, but you're going home that morning. The other people are working. There's, I think most fire departments are kind of similar, but you understand what I'm saying. So a, a meme or something that I've seen one time before, I don't, can't even cite the reference of it, said, you encourage what you tolerate. You encourage what you tolerate. So handle the small things, but then set the boundaries. So I talked about setting boundaries a second ago. I wanted to split that up. Setting boundaries is what I mean is what you, you have to physically say what you, what is acceptable and what isn't, what the standard is and what it won't be. And that's why I want to break down uniforms because there's a whole other thing. I have this whole concept that other chiefs and other people have told me and even firefighters about uniforms and things. And I want to separate that out for another incident or <laughs> incident. Jeez. Another episode. So you can understand. I don't even think I have to explain that a ton, but you encourage what you tolerate. It's like at home, right? If, for those of you who have kids, what you let them get away with is what you're saying is okay. What you tolerate is what you encourage. So it's very similar in the fire service especially at slower stations, right? We call this term slow station problems. You know, some people are pissed because the paper towels are put in the wrong way or the toilet paper comes out underneath the roll and said over to the top. You're like, oh God, what are we talking about? And you have to stop that right away as the company officer, if you see it happening. You can't look the other way and go, oh, that's your guys' problem, figure that out. You might need, you might give them some room to figure it out, but when it starts to become an issue, you slam it quick, hard, right away. So we're getting near the end here of about 15 bullet points I put on here. And my last one is reviewing, and I already kind of threw it out there, but don't be Captain Good Times. It's okay to be a good guy and make have fun with the guys. And some people may say, I'm too stressed, or not too stressed, too serious all the time. But... I'll break down and, and show my other side because that is my natural personality. It's not me putting up a front at work saying, ooh, I now need to toe the line. I feel it's pretty much the same. I'm kind of the same as I was as a firefighter, as an engineer, kind of as a captain now. I didn't screw off too much and do all these things, so now I have to backpedal and go, well, I did that when I was a firefighter, but you can't do that. I don't have too many of those. I have some, but it's just kind of my natural personality. I don't come across like super outgoing, tons of fun. I like those guys. Those guys are awesome. I wish I could be something like that. It, if you, if I constantly think about it, I have to try to be that person. 
I can be, especially if maybe out outside of work where we're not always thinking about work stuff or whatever. And there's fun at night, right? Watching movies or smoking a cigar out in the back with the guys or sitting around a fire or just cooking together. And that, that stuff's awesome because you can't be the guy that goes and hides in his dorm all the time. There's plenty of that. And that concept of walking the station and just kind of walking around and seeing what's going on, I think is a big thing. Every once in a while, if you're studying or you just need a break because things are hectic at home or you've been working a bunch, you need to take a nap or whatever, cool. You just can't hang out there, eat lunch, go back in, come out for dinner, go back into your dorm. It's after over time, that's just going to create a problem. If it's one day and you tell the crew like, hey, I'm just tired. I, my kid was up throwing up all night the night before or I've been at work and we got slammed, then they'll understand. But if you're doing it consistently, it's going to create a problem. So back to Captain Good Times. What I mean is a firefighter or an engineer who's dressed like a captain. They don't want to do what the captain needs to do because they want to be liked. They're too worried about being liked and thinking that everybody, wanting everybody to think they're cool that they drop the ball when it becomes on incidents or what makes it harder is when you need to not necessarily discipline, but correct some behavioral action. It's going to suck when you've just been the whole time just trying to be their buddy. And I guess to try to relate it to something, you ever seen the parents that try to be their kid's best friend? That, that's what I'm talking about. You can't. I'm not saying you're the parent at the fire service as a captain, but kind of. If I had to compare things so people understand what's in my brain and what I'm trying to think is or put out here, don't be the parent who's trying to be their kid's best friend because we usually that means it's not going to go over well. You got to be their friend, right? But you got to be the disciplinarian. You got to be their boss, but you got to be their friend. And there needs to be that line. And it's a constant back and forth. Really, I'm talking for an hour now. I haven't even touched the surface of leadership. If you even want to call this leadership, some of this you may just go, well, that's basic stuff. But it's all touching on leadership. Everything we say or do or how you're looked at now is once you're in that seat, it's somewhat under leadership. So another meme uh, that I had seen was... uh, Lower your standards, and you'll lose your winners. Raise your standards, and you'll lose your losers. I think everybody can look at that and go, that's right. As soon as you start making it a little bit, not tougher, but you hold a certain standard, people are going to flock to you or they're going to drop off. Normal. That's how it is. And you look at that and go, okay, that's the way I want it to be. Do you want people that are slugs all the time? No. If you do, you just, I don't think you realize how much work that is. So set that standard and move that thing around where you need it to be, the gauge, to get, to lose the losers and keep your winners or at least bring them towards you. You got to hold the line. You have to keep the traditions going. You have to get better. At night when you're sitting in your dorm by yourself or wherever you may be, spend 10 minutes and think about the day. What incident did I screw up? What could I have done better? I never knew this about this. Let me go look it up. YouTube is your friend. I'm not paid by them. What I'm saying is 
There's tons of videos to look up things that you don't understand. Fire alarm systems. We have this new parking garage system, and probably other places have it, that you, the person drives their car in, and it goes down on its own like an escalator, and then puts the car away for them, and then it brings it out. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what if we have a car fire in that thing? And they brought over the fire prevention paperwork on it, and there's a the company on there. I went on YouTube and watched how it works because I wouldn't know what the heck to do with that. But you understand what I'm saying. Take the time to self-reflect each day. Is it nice to sit in the blue chair or the recliner with the guys and watch movies all day or football now that it's football season? Sure. And there are those days where you need to do that, especially days where there your crew is constantly working hard for you without you saying anything. When you can get to that point, you're trying to keep up with them. And to reward them is sometimes hanging out with them or giving them a break or buying ice cream or taking them to dessert or something different to reward that. But there's always the minimum standard. So let me think here. What else can I think of? Certain stations or certain firehouses already have a personality of their own that's been laid in the foundation from people that have worked there before. And the ones that I've been around that have done that still hold, and those people don't even work there anymore. But their name gets brought up all the time. The idea gets brought up all the time of what they talk about. I'm talking just how it operates. Each firehouse operates different. So I think one day I'm going to talk about that traditions and certain things, but so a little bit of maybe something I can ask of you. If you have certain area, like an area that you work at, I'm I'm hoping this reaches people as I try to expand it. If you can share it, that'd be great. But if you have something that is a tradition related to a firehouse or your department, I'd love to hear about it because not only do I like hearing about those things, but I'd like to eventually do an episode talking about just traditions of certain stations, why they stay that way, why it's good or bad, uh, things of that nature. So, yeah. So as we wrap this up, a little over an hour here, some basic concepts that you need to, not need to, you may want to consider. And then a little bit of on leadership, tiny little sprinkle pieces of it. As I do further episodes, we'll talk about, and I don't want to say this is just a leadership issue because there's no way you can, we could spend the rest of our lives trying to learn leadership and read books and there's so many. And I'll start blasting them out on Instagram or whatever that books I've read. And because I, there, I take books throughout the class and I just highlight and read certain sections from it to the guys. So anyways, so I hope you enjoyed this episode. Like I said, if you could... Send me some information, maybe specific to your department or a concept idea or something I missed, or maybe I'm way off base. I would appreciate that too, because that just helps me grow. I've only been a captain five years. I have at least nine more years on the job. I don't know if I'll go any farther. So I'm always looking to get better because I hate when I hit the plateau. When I don't have something to do for the day, then I start getting concerned and I want to, I want to be better. So if you have any suggestions, um, please send them to us. Uh, our email is thefireofficerproject at gmail.com. 
Instagram account is The Fire Officer Project. It's all spelled out just like that. So feel free to send me an email, Instagram uh, direct message or comment on any of the pictures, and I try to respond to them as soon as I can. And I would really appreciate that. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. More episodes to come. I'm always looking for ideas, so please send them to me. Have a good day. Remember, keep moving forward. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fire Officer Project. If you're interested in leaving questions or suggestions for future shows, you can do that by emailing at thefireofficerproject at gmail.com. Also have an Instagram account, the Fire Officer Project, all one word. You can send messages, direct messages, or comment on the pictures, and I'll try to get back to you as soon as I can. Also, for the future, I'm looking to expand and hopefully start learning how to do interviews. It may not be something I get to right away, but if you're thinking about it or think that we can connect and you can share some concepts that you may have, I'd really appreciate that. A rating and review is always appreciated. If you could take a second to let me know how I'm doing, good or bad, I look forward to hearing from you.